chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would speak to us through your word as we've been singing to you. We thank you that your word will outlive the heavens and the earth. We thank you, Lord, that it's profitable for all the things that you reveal in your word that it's profitable to do in us to bring growth to make us in the disciples that you've called us to be to make us complete not lacking anything lord we want to grow in our walk with you we know lord that you have thoughts and intents and you have desires for our lives and we want to fulfill that by your grace and by your power so use all these verses today for your purposes in our lives we thank you in jesus name Amen. Please be seated. As we're looking at this series, looking at these different passages related to the Calvary Chapel distinctives and what we believe and why, you know, there are reasons why we believe what we believe. There are reasons why we do what we do, how we practice. We have, we looked at last week, um, talking about doctrine, what we believe, and philosophy of ministry, which is how our approach to ministry We started, uh, I believe it was three weeks ago, with the first one in our series called Calling is Everything, how important it is for us to be serving as an overflow of our calling, and that because of what all of our callings that we have, it's beautiful when they're all put together perfectly in a great tapestry of how God wants to work in the church and through the church and to make us into the disciples that he's called us to be. So everything flows from calling. He doesn't Um, call the equipped he equips the called and so often we think we he found the wrong person he's asking the wrong person to do such and such and he he doesn't make mistakes in that he knows that he uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise so that there'll be no explanation for what he does through our lives apart from him so we'll look at us and say oh it's because they're so brilliant or they have a million degrees after their name or any of those things that he gets all the glory for it so We have to recognize how important uh, calling is. And then we looked at, it's Jesus' church, let him build it. That's one of the tenets of what we believe. It's his church. He hasn't called me or any of the other leaders or you to build the church. He's called us to build it up, and he's called us to share the gospel, but he said he would build his church. And so it's up to us to get out of his way to let him have all the opportunity he wants to lead his church and to guide his church and to direct his church as he sees fit. And it's that's easier said than done sometimes, to let him have his freedom to do that. But he's the true senior pastor. He's the one that's the head of the church. And so we have to let him do that. Then last week we saw the priority of the word, how important it is to be uh, immersed 
and taught the word of God, the apostles' doctrine, as we saw in Acts 2.42, and how all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Not just some, all of it, which means we need to be going through all of the scriptures. In Act, we saw in Acts chapter 20, Paul say to the Ephesian elders in Miletus, or at Miletus, that he has not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God to them. And for us, that means Genesis to Revelation, all of the Bible, every single bit of it. And everything that we do and believe and practice and all those things, the word of God is the basis upon which all those things are based. And so that's so important. But this week we're going to look at the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so if you were to title this message, it would be empowered by the Spirit. There's a lot of things going on in the church and in the body of Christ, and there's a lot of things that God has intended the church to be and how we're supposed to function and all those things. And you would never think that your car is going to get to its destination if you forget to fill it with gas. One time, uh, someone in my house um, filled our gas tank with diesel instead of real gasoline, filled it all the way up. And you, those of you who may have done that or know about that, um, you have to have it towed to the, to the repair shop and they have to drain the gas tank and all that because it'll do damage to the engine if you try to start it and all of that. And, and so we wouldn't have gotten very far if we would have thought that we're going to get to our destination with the wrong gas or the wrong fuel. And it's the same way with us. The Christian life is a supernatural life. It's not just a life where you believe certain things mentally and have mental assent to things and you go about your business doing those things in the power of your own strength. He's called us to a supernatural life. Living a holy life is a supernatural life. It requires supernatural power. To be a witness to him requires supernatural power. To have boldness for him requires supernatural power. So this whole doctrine of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, there's, there is controversy associated with it. We're right. Just kidding. Well, I do believe we're right, but um, there's not pride associated with it. I mean, every, every church believes that they believe, and they're thankful for the doctrines that they believe. We're thankful for the doctrine of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So this is the crux of the issue. There's churches that believe that when you get saved, when you receive Christ, you get all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. And then there's other churches, and we're one of them, that, and our movement is one of them, that believe that um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit can happen at salvation, uh, but oftentimes it happens subsequent to salvation, a second work, it's called, of the Holy Spirit. And so um, we have to understand where we get that from Scripture, because it's incumbent upon me to be able to demonstrate to you from Scripture where we get what we get, those things. And for you to be able to see for yourself and be able to judge that for yourself. That's All of us are called to be Bereans and testing what people say by the Scriptures. So I just can't tell you the difference it's made in my life to believe in this baptism with the Spirit, to have Him overflow me, overwhelm me, over just pouring out His Spirit upon my life. Not just that, but to be refilled with the Spirit. We're told in Ephesians to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and so we need that power. We're going to get into all of that. I want to start in our verse here, in verse 4, by, by beginning this whole thing where Jesus is talking about this baptism with the Spirit. 
He says in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. There's a command. That's important. When he commands us to do something, it's important. He commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So this is right before he ascended. Right before his, his ascension. This is 40 days after the resurrection. And he's appearing to them over the last 40 days. He's appeared to them intermittently, weaning them off of himself graciously to help them be ready for when he's going to ascend and they're not going to see him physically again. And so during that time, he, he talks about this whole promise of the Father before he ascends. He's reminding them, he's already talked to them about this, which we're going to look at in a moment. He's already talked to them about this promise of the Father, and he's heard, they've heard him speak of this before. And then he goes on in verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the Lord Jesus reminds them of this promise, which he spoke about previously, this baptism with the Holy Spirit. And ba- the word baptism means, it simply means to immerse. The, the Roman Catholic Church changed the meaning of that. Or they, they created a new English word, so to speak. I mean, it's really, they did Latin and all that. But baptism literally means immersion. But they want to sprinkle, so they have to have a different word to pour a different meaning into it. Because if they just translate it straight over immersion, they couldn't sprinkle. They'd have to immerse. Unless you're being immersed in little drops. I don't know how that happens, but I mean, um, whatever. So, but the issue is the, we have to be baptized. When we're baptized with water, we go under the water, we're immersed, we come out, and, and that water's all over us. And when we come out of the, the pool or the ocean or the lake or whatever, we're, there's some very creative things that people get baptized in. I'm not going to get into those, but um, whatever, when you come out and you give someone a hug and all that, you get the water all over them. And that's the same idea with being baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's not how much you, you have of the Holy Spirit. It's how much of the Holy Spirit has of you. It's of the, you overflowing, God overflowing out of your life into other people's lives. That's what you see in the scriptures in the book of Acts. You see that kind of life. And that's what he wants for all of us. So now they get distracted um, with this question about uh, ruling and reigning in verse 6 he says therefore when they ha- uh, come together they asked him saying Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel and he said to them it is not for you to know times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority so they get sidetracked they still think there's going to be a government like a a, a ruler he's going to be like a messiah in a ter- terms of a, a earthly king and taking him out of the bondage of rome because rome was oppressing them and all of that they're still thinking along those lines and they don't even realize there's going to be many millennia <laughs> at least a couple millennia before he comes back again and his first mission was to die for sins his second mission is to rule and reign over the earth they didn't understand that but he so he says it's not for you to know the times or seasons But then he gets to the purpose of the baptism with the Spirit. And this is what I want you to see. Look with me in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus explains that the purpose of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is power to be a witness to him. And what's it mean to be a witness to him? 
Well, if you're being interviewed, let's say there was an accident on the corner, street corner, and you're being interviewed by a police officer, getting your report, getting your testimony, you, they would ask you, were you a witness to the accident? And you would say, yes, I was a witness to the accident. So he's saying we'd be witnesses to him, that we would say, for them, it was, I've seen him raised, raised from the dead and all of that. But for us, it's, I, I've been, my life's been changed. I know it's true. I know, I've, I've been a witness to Jesus, his work in my life, and how he's changed me, and how he's made me into a new creation, and all the things that you know about the Lord and all of that. So he explains the purpose. Now, let's think for a moment what the disciples already had related to preparation for ministry. They'd been with Jesus for three and a half years. So they, they, they have education. They haven't had the education of the scribes and the Pharisees, but they had the real education being with Jesus, living with him for three and a half years, hearing him teach, seeing his miracles, seeing how he handled people, how he loved people, how he looked at people, his tone of voice when he spoke to people. They got to see all that for three and a half years. John the Apostle at the end of the book of John says that all the libraries in the world couldn't hold all the books related to his works that Jesus did. They saw so much more than what's revealed even in four Gospels. As wonderful as having kind of a picture that's so broad and diverse over four different authors, they saw so much more. So they had all this education being with him. They also had experience. They had ministry experience. He would dispatch them Go out and heal the sick and cleanse lepers and, and heal the sick and, uh, I mean, uh, cast out demons and preach the good news to the poor and all these things. They did all that. They experienced all that. They were there serving alongside of him. They cared for people. Now, they did some things that weren't good, trying to keep children away from him. They were, you know, there's all kinds of things where they did the wrong kind of stuff, but they, that was so much more the minority compared to what they did experience and what they did learn in terms of ministry experience. So they have all this education, they have all this experience. Why would Jesus tell them to wait? You would think that he would say, just get going. I raised from the dead, go. But there's something that they lacked, something very significant that they lacked, and that was power. They needed power. They needed to have that supernatural power to be witnesses to him. And if you don't get that at salvation, and some people don't, then you don't have that power that you need. How many people, how many believers in this world who are in environments where they're taught that you get all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get when you get saved and that's it, how many of them are lacking the power that, that God wants for them to have to be a witness? I would say many, many, many. Many of them. Now, God, what I love about the Lord is that he, he's not limited to our theology in so many ways. Do you think that those people, some people get baptized with the Spirit if they don't even believe? Even the pastors that don't believe, if they're open to God and they want more of the Lord and they're, they're wanting to all the things that he wants related to the, the, the reason why he gives us the baptism with the Spirit, he'll still baptize them with the Holy Spirit, even if their theology doesn't lie, doesn't care. You love me, you want to be a witness to me, you believe that you got everything when you got saved, I'm going to give you that, boom. I mean, that's, God, God could do that. I'm sure that that happens. But God wants us to be ready and willing to be able to be refilled with his Holy Spirit. There's three prepositions, and this is what we're going to focus on today. There's three prepositions that describe in God's word 
how we're supposed to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And there are the three words, with, in, and upon. Those are the three prepositions that describe our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to go through, I'm going to show you in Scripture where those things are, and you can see for yourself. So first of all, with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. The New Testament uses the Greek word para, and we use that word with the word parallel, where you have two things that are alongside each other, like two streets, or parachurch organization, where an organization comes alongside the church and helps it. Parachute. I don't know, you're coming alongside the parachute and it saves your life. I don't know. I don't just, you know, that's why you don't come up with these while you're talking. You, you look at it a little ahead of time. But then, so we have this, this relationship with the Holy Spirit before we're Christians. You didn't know that, did you? Maybe not. You, you know, where you have these, this relationship with the Holy Spirit, he has a relationship with you, I should say. He's with unbelievers and he's convicting them of their sin. He's compelling them to choose Christ. He's saying amen to the gospel when they hear it. He's with them. He's with unbelievers, convicting them. Secondly, when you look at the word in, because there's with and there's in, the Holy Spirit also is in us. The New Testament uses the word en, E-N, if you were to transliterate it. En, it just means in, in Greek, but it's it's, a... you know, for those of you that study a little Greek, it's an epsilon and a new together. And that's the word in in Greek. And, and so this happens at salvation. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes in us at the moment of conversion, the moment that we trust in Christ, the moment we trust in the cross and the, his death and resurrection. And we trust in that alone to pay our way to heaven. We're placing our faith in him in that way. The Holy Spirit comes in to us. And then our dead spirits are made alive by the Holy Spirit, and then we have that relationship with God for which we were created. So that's the in relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. Then the third preposition is the word upon, and that's the Greek word epi, E-P-I. And that's referring to when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. That's probably where we get the word epicenter, because that... The earthquake happened right there at that point and came upon that whole target or, or point in the geography where, that, where the te- tectonic shifting happened or whatever you explain it. Where that's where it happened. That was the epicenter. I don't know if EpiPen. I'm just trying to think of epis right now. Maybe you can think of some. But um, it just means upon. And that can happen at salvation. And we'll look at an example of that. But but. It also happens at times after or subsequent to salvation. So I want to give you examples of these prepositions. Turn with me to John chapter 14. We're going to, we're going to be look, looking at a few different passages here because I want you to see it for yourself. John chapter 14. And I want to begin reading in verse 16, John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, 
There's our word with, para. He dwells with you and will be in you. There's our word in. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. But he says, because it, it neither sees him, and the Holy Spirit is a he. We see that in the personal pronouns here, are masculine. Sees him, nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So he's, he's with the disciples at this point, not inside of them, but he's predicting that he will be inside of them in the future. He will be in you. Not yet, but he will be in you. Now we're told in John chapter 16, verse 8, that the purpose of the Holy Spirit with unbelievers is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So again, that's the relationship that unbelievers have with the Holy Spirit, that he's with them, convicting them of their sin. We don't have to convict them of their sin. All we do is we preach the truth to them. It doesn't mean that we don't talk about what's right and wrong. We do all those things. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. And what does convict mean? It means that you make a strong case. You make a case. When someone's convicted, it's like a judgment that is rendered on somebody. They're convicted of this crime. It means So that's what, that's what the Holy Spirit uniquely does, that he makes a case to the unbeliever that they're sinners, that they've sinned against God, that they're guilty. And he's really good at that ministry. <laughs> we, we don't have to do that. He does it so perfectly and flawlessly they will find other places to be sometimes than to be around you um, and you're you know because you represent the things of the lord and they can get convicted just being around you how many of us have been around unbelievers that they don't want to be around us because they're convicted you know that me too you know don't take it personally it's the lord that they're uncomfortable with not you i mean they may be uncomfortable with you but it's not you alone um you know it depends on if you wore deodorant that day or whatever mouthwash um, <laughs> I remember as a teenager, man, I had a hard time with mouthwash and a hard time with deodorant, but I outgrew that, so that's good news for everybody. Uh, so so now, now he, he said, with them, and he will be in you. Now let's look at when the disciples were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Let's turn over to John chapter 20, just a few pages to the right. John chapter 20, and let's look and see when the when the in experience happened the indwelling happened john chapter 20 beginning in verse 19 john 20:19 then the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the jews jesus came and stood in the in the midst and said to them peace be with you when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And verse 22 is the key verse here. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So he breathed on them. That's when they were indwelt by the Spirit. Now, they already believed in him before. The problem was he hadn't died and rose again. He had to have died and rose again before they can be indwelt with the Spirit. So now he's risen from the dead, and one of the first things he does is he breathes on them so they'll be indwelt with the Spirit. We're never going to be in that situation where we're caught in between those two events because it had already happened, that he died and he rose again. So when we receive Christ, we're immediately indwelt by the Spirit. It wasn't the case with them. Now, this is not some symbolism. 
people try to reinterpret this because they're wanting really badly the disciples getting saved and indwelt by the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. But clearly it says he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And he's not going to say receive the Holy Spirit and not take, not work. It's going to happen. So they received the Holy Spirit. That's when the in experience occurred. So when you receive Christ, those of us that know you know Christ here, when you receive Christ, he came in you. He was already with you because he was, you were an unbeliever and he convicted you of your sin. But then there came a point in time when you were surrendered to him and you, you received him and he came inside of you and you were born again by the Holy Spirit. Your spirit was made alive and all of that. Now, let's go back to our text in Acts chapter 1 and let's look at the third preposition here. Acts chapter 1. And let's look for our word upon. Same verse. But you shall receive, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. What's the next word? Upon. There's our word. Come upon. That's epi in the Greek. He has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now let's look over in chapter 2, verse 1, and look at the fulfillment of this when this happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, this is the feast of Pentecost, okay, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what's synonymous with baptism with the Spirit is filled with the Spirit. They're interchangeable in Scripture. So they were all filled, verse 4, with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, he didn't say in verse 8 in chapter 1, you sh- when that happens, you will receive tongues when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He doesn't say that. That's not the purpose of why God gives the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It says that you'll receive power. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. You'll be a wit- um, the baptism with the Spirit. You'll be witnesses to me. So how do you know if you've been baptized with the Spirit? Do you have power to be a witness to him? Are you bold for him? That's how you know. The evidence is not speaking in tongues, although those signs do accompany baptism with the Spirit at times. The the, the purpose of it is to be bold and be a witness to Him. So if you received Christ and you've been bold for Him and you've been a witness to Him and you've sensed that supernatural power to do that, then you were baptized with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. That happened with me. I didn't even know what any of those things were and it happened to me. And, and uh, I've never been the same since, in almost 30 years. But there are also those that, and this is probably more common than the other scenario, is that you receive Christ, you're indwelt by the Spirit, and then you realize later that you need to have this, and you don't have that boldness, and then you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now I want to show you further examples of this upon experience in the book of Acts. Go over to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, you have Philip going to Samaria. And he was led, he was a 
deacon before that, and God led him to go to Samaria. And remember, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Samaria, and all to the uttermost ends of the earth. He was going to Samaria, preached the gospel. Many people were getting saved and all those things. And then this happened. Look at verse 14. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. And when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not talking about um, indwelling there. It, it, receiving the Holy Spirit was a, another way that they would say baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, Verse 16. For as, as yet he had, had fallen upon, there's our word, epi there, upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you were water baptized, you would, they would never water baptize you if you hadn't received Christ. If you hadn't received, trusted in Christ, and if you trusted in Christ, then you're indwelt with the Spirit. So we can't be talking about being saved because they'd already been water baptized. No, no apostle's going to baptize people if they haven't been saved yet. So they, they are already saved here. But it says that the Holy Spirit, he had not fallen upon any of them yet. That word upon, that, that experience, that baptism with the Holy Spirit. So here's an example in Scripture where they were already saved, already water baptized, but yet... They hadn't received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He had not fallen upon them. And it was so important to get that power that, that the apostles came from Jerusalem so that that would happen. That's how important it was. And then it says in verse 17, Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw, notice that word saw, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the holy spirit was given he offered them money and then peter rebukes him and all of that but there is something outward that simon could see and he was a magician and he was you know he could do a lot of stuff and he was so impressed he wanted to give him money so there was something outward that happened that we're not told what it is we can't go beyond scripture and say it was tongues or they prophesied or whatever and that could have happened but there's no way we can know that because luke by the spirit does not record that and we don't go beyond what scripture says but we do know there was something outward or else Simon could not have been impressed by or known that that would have happened. If nothing would have been visual on the outside, then he could not have known that it happened and not be impressed to the point where he's offering to give them money in that sense. But the main point for me coming to this passage is to show you the word upon, that it's consistent all through the book of Acts. Now go over a couple more chapters to Acts chapter 10. And in this account, Peter is, was in Joppa, and he was staying at Simon the Tanner's house. God spoke to Cornelius up in Caesarea and told him to send for Peter. And he sent his, dispatched his people to go down there to Joppa. God gave him a vision, Peter, a vision, and basically told him to go with these Gentiles that are coming for him to come get him and and so he goes with them back up to Caesarea he's preaching the gospel to them and then notice in verse 44 in Acts chapter 10 we're told this while Peter was still speaking these words the Holy Spirit fell what's that word upon there's our word again the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and I love the fact that the Holy Spirit didn't wait for Peter to stop preaching 
He interrupted Peter. It's okay, son. You know, you've done well enough. You've heard, they've heard enough. They're ready. They're placing their faith in Christ while he's still talking. And the Holy Spirit isn't waiting for a, a pause button from Peter. He's just, boom, going in and coming inside and filling him with the Holy Spirit. Verse 45, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, notice the words pour out, poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water, in other words water baptism, that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commended them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So before, so this is an example of it happening at the same time as salvation. They're getting the in experience and the upon experience at the same time, like it happened in my life. And, and they, they weren't asking for it. They weren't desiring that. They, they received Christ. They put their faith in Christ. He came inside of them and decided to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. They didn't even ask. They didn't, nothing. And God can do that. God can sovereign. I heard, a, I heard of a, a guy that I know, he was mowing his lawn. And he was praying and asking God. He wanted more of, more of God. And all of a sudden he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he started speaking in tongues. God gave him the gift of tongues while he's mowing his lawn. I mean, that's pretty amazing. God isn't limited to walls or in churches. and He wants to meet with us wherever we are. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that have said they received the baptism with the spirit in their bedroom quiet just before god and god filled them with the holy spirit and and they were baptized with the, with him there's another example i want us to turn to acts chapter 19 at least i did this in order so you can just keep turning to the right see i think of little things like that you know make it easier for you acts chapter 19 And I want to begin reading in verse 1, Acts 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came, what's the next word? Upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. So, I don't have time to get into all the details of all this passage, of, of this passage, but it's important for us to see that when he's talking about, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he knows that they'll be, they, if they believed, that they received and were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. It's a way of saying, have you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so they were baptized. Notice in verse 5, when he heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were water baptized. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. So they, were getting, they got water baptized, and then he laid hands on them, and they got baptized with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues and prophesied. So, again, the upon experience. He's with us before we're saved, 
convicting us of sin. He comes in us when we receive Christ. And then he comes upon us either when we receive Christ or later afterwards and we're, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. So it begs the question, how does one receive the baptism with the Spirit? Well, let's look at what Scripture has said. And there's other passages, too. We couldn't cover all of them. But you see in the book of Acts, you have leaders or elders or pastors, apostles, whatever. They're laying hands on them, and they're initiating it. The leaders are initiating it for it to happen. The people aren't thinking of it up themselves and asking. They are initiating it, and then they're laying hands on them, and they're being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Even in, with Paul the Apostle, when Ananias came to him, that you know it didn't Paul it wasn't Paul's idea and, and he laid hands on him and he and he received his sight and all of that and it said he was baptized and and so it was initiated by the the leadership I guess you'd say is a broad term but also if that doesn't happen and sometimes they work together um, you ask and I want us to turn to Luke chapter 11 and it's our last passage that we'll be looking at Luke chapter 11 I want to begin reading in verse 10. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give you a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If then, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now people say, well, he's not, the context is not talking about the baptism with the Spirit, to be a witness to him and all of that. Why does he mention that? Well, the context really is not salvation. The context is prayer. If you look at it, the context is prayer, approaching God. That's why he says, Whoever, everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks will be open. He's encouraging us to go to him. He just got done speaking, teaching them how to pray related to the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus is encouraging us to come to God boldly and consistently and all of that. And he's encouraging us to keep asking, to keep knocking, and saying, comparatively, you know, you're evil, God's not evil, and you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now put yourself in the Jewish mindset. The Holy Spirit was only given to prophets and kings and very rare instances where he gave it to certain people in the Old Testament. For a Jew, the ultimate gift that anybody could give would be the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about the, ta the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies and only the high priest could go in there once a year. Same with the, the temple. A high priest could only go in there once a year and, and to offer sin, he had to offer sin sacrifice for himself first, but then he would go in there, holy of holies, and sprinkle the blood on the altar and all of that. Only once a year could he do that. And that represented the presence, that Ark of the Covenant there, that was, was representing the presence of God, the Spirit of God. And to think that only kings and prophets could have that. So 
Jesus, knowing the Jewish mind, goes to the ultimate. When he's talking about prayer and approaching God and having confidence in asking and God's heart towards us in giving, he says the ultimate, he goes to the ultimate thing that a Jewish mind could ever hope for related to receiving something amazing from God, and that is the Holy Spirit. And he says, he'll, he'll, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? When we get saved at the moment of salvation, we are not asking for the Holy Spirit. You didn't ask for the Holy Spirit when you got saved. You're asking for forgiveness. You're asking for the gift of salvation. You're not asking for the Holy Spirit. So when we're, and I believe on the day of Pentecost, when they're in that upper room, when they've been praying for 10 days, and I believe they're asking God for that promise from the Father, the Holy Spirit that Jesus was talking about in John chapter 14 through 16. He's, he, they're asking, they're saying, God, give us that promise. Fulfill that promise that you gave. They're asking, remembering back to Luke 11. And, and, and he gives it to them, and he fills them with the Holy Spirit. And yes, he's doing other things that day besides baptizing with the Holy Spirit. He's, he's birthing the church at large. He knows that because of the Feast of Pentecost, every Jew from all over the world is there. And he's going to bring in a great harvest of souls in one day through the Apostle Peter because he gets up after this outpouring of the Spirit. When everyone comes because they hear this sound that's so loud, what happened? What was that? It was the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And what was that? And they come to them and they, they think that they're drunk, not because they're out of control, it's because they're full of joy. And, and, they, and he says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. And he starts going through the scriptures, preaching the gospel, and 3,000 people come to know Christ that day. So yes, God was knocking more than one thing out at a time that day. It's not just birthing the church. He was also baptizing with the, the disciples with the Holy Spirit. All were baptized with the Holy Spirit. All of them. And, and so that's what we need. We need that power, and God's willing to give that to us if we ask. So how do you do that? I, I would recommend to... Get quiet before the Lord, and, and, you're, and I'm not saying in a private setting. You can do it in a public setting. And here, after when we're singing, we're probably giving an opportunity to do that. But confess your sins to God, and any known sin that you know of, confess those things to the Lord and totally surrender your heart to him, 100%, not holding anything back, and ask to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Ask him to fill you with to overflowing, and he will. He will come upon you so powerfully. And it may not be something you feel physically or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. There may be a prayer language that starts to come out. You start, and it doesn't just move your mouth. I mean, you have to, he gives you those words to speak. He may not. It's not, the gift of tongues is not for everybody. He makes that clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Do all speak in tongues? Do all prophesy? Are all apostles? It's a, it's a, it's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is no. But every good and perfect gift is from above. And he may want to give you that gift. Be open to it. If he, wants, if he gives it to you, then... Gee, I mean, Paul said, I praise God that I speak in tongues more than you all. And he was saying that to the Corinth, which is <laughs> saying a lot. But I would, you know, say intelligent words versus 10,000 words in a tongue. So he may come upon you and you may prophesy. And what is prophesying? It's speaking for God. It's saying how great God is. It's, t- it's speaking on, it's having God's heart and communicating that, how amazing God's heart is for his people. That may happen. But you may not have any of those things. But again, the purpose is not the gifts. The purpose is boldness to be a witness to him. And then after that, as you sense a need, 
ask to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. There are times where I feel so weak and so inadequate and, so, and, and I'm asking God in that very moment, God, fill me with your spirit, refill me with your Holy Spirit right now. And he's done it every single time in almost 30 years he's done it and given me that power. There's been times where I have been talking to one of you <laughs> after the service and you're presenting something that I don't know the answer to it. I don't know what to say to you. And I'm asking God, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to know what to say. Help me to point them to the Lord, to you. Help me. And he does every single time. That's what he wants for us. I and mean, we're leaky vessels. He's, all, he's into free refills. You know, he, he had that way before anyone else did. So we're going we're gonna to have the worship team come forward now. And, and we're going to sing a couple songs. And just in the quietness of your own heart, confess your sins to him. Surrender your life to him completely. And, and, and ask him to fill you and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And, and he will. I'm really excited for that. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We want to be filled with your power. We want to be witnesses to you. We want to be walking in the supernatural. You're a supernatural God. We love you. And we thank you that you can do far more than we could ever ask or think through us and in us in any given moment. I pray, Father, that your church here would be supernatural, would be supernaturally empowered to be a witness to Christ. So we just pray, Lord, that you'd fill us, Lord, to overflowing. In Jesus' name, amen.